I'd like to welcome y'all to Secrets from the South. I'm your friend, Scotty Ray, along with my co-host, Terry. Now, you'll quickly catch on that we don't sound like the man on the 6 o'clock news. We talk a little slower, and we've got a southern drawl. But nonetheless, we've got a great podcast lined up just for you. We'll bring you some interesting stories. They're sometimes crazy and a little unbelievable. But it would be just plain impolite not to share them. So get yourself comfortable. Find some southern charm and a glass of iced tea and enjoy. Are you ready for this week's episode? I certainly hope so. We'll speak with some people that have seen faucets turn on by themselves, light switches flip on, and take you to places where people have been scratched and bitten by a ghost. This week's episode is titled The Ghost Next Door, Part 4. So, Scotty, we're on our fourth and final episode talking about ghosts and this has been so much fun terry i have enjoyed it i know i kind of hate that it's ending you know there's a ton of stories that are out there that we haven't even touched on now if you'd like to submit one you can get us on facebook we've had a lot of people tell us stories on their inboxes there or you can email us yeah they can go to secretsfromthesouth.com and there's a spot right there right on the website where they can leave an email very simple now We've been to, oh, how many different states? I don't even know so far, but it's Kentucky and tons of other places. Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, just uh, there's so many that we still could talk about. We just don't have enough time. But for this episode, we're going to talk about other states as well, like Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Mississippi. Now, and we've also got a few people that are going to call in and talk to us and give us their side of the story. Dr. Alan Brown will be back here in just a few moments to tell theirs. And what we want you to realize, I know a lot of people are a little nervous about telling their ghost story because it's a personal kind of thing. Well, I mean, you always worry that your... somebody's going to think you're off your rocker True. if you tell a story that's a little bit hard to believe. But all of these are kind of hard to believe. But when you've had several people that have reported the same sighting, that have seen the same thing. I mean, obviously, it gets it gives you credence and credibility, but there is no doubt that sometimes you're the only one that saw it, but it really happened. Now, I'll give you an example of that because it just popped back in my mind. As a kid, uh, I had a lady that took care of me named Mayhead. She had, she had been with our family forever. And next door to us was an old log cabin that was off into a pasture you could see on top of a hill, and it had a pond down there. And she told me the story. I was probably like three years old. She repeated the story so many times to me that I got to believe in that I remembered it, which I truly don't. I just remember her telling the story. Okay, what was the story? But it was. She said it was Miss Annie that come out there with a little girl. And she said she walked over and she picked up the flowers and she walked off and she said she just faded away. Now, Mayhat told that as the gospel. And the lady that she was referring to had been dead for 80 years. And she knew her as a little girl that lived at that homestead place in that log cabin. So do you think she was seeing her as a ghost or some, I don't know, it's spirit? or put my finger on it, but she truly believed that it was her that she watched out there pick those flowers, and she just kind of faded away into the sunlight there. She told, I mean, she had me believing that, and I was there. I just, at three years old, I do not remember it. But think about how many stories there are that are out there that somebody has never told before. Yeah. And, hey, we'd love to be the ones to hear it and to be able to share it. 
with others. And when we talk about, we're going to be talking about Gettysburg. And that's fascinating in itself because, you know, what was that, a, a three-day battle? Three-day battle. And how many lives were lost? Between fifty-one to 55,000. And what's the most interesting fact about that? Well, that only one civilian right. was uh, killed as a result of that. And it was a female. It sure was. And we're going to talk about her as well. But when you think about all of that death, you can't help but think that there had to have been some unsettled spirits out oh, there. Oh, yeah. I mean, most of those were kids. They were. A, a lot of them only 14 years old that, you know, kind of fudged their age and signed up and ran off to sign up to fight. So would you pitch a tent, Scotty, at night and stay out there in the battlefield? If you'd stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I had every shotgun that they did. Now, I I will stay if I have me a posse, so to speak. Now, I, I would have to have about a po- that. I would have to have a posse too. Yeah, I, I'm okay if I got a group, but by yourself, I don't know. I, you, your mind plays tricks on you while you're by yourself. Am I not right? Oh yeah, well, just the just nature and hearing sounds in the woods that are probably explainable. Yeah, but when you're in the right setting. Your mind will play tricks with you, and it's something totally different. Now, as you brought up, and I want to point this out, it's a little off topic, but it's really on topic. As you said, you know, of talking about things and things that you've seen, don't feel uncomfortable about it. One of the biggest country music songs there ever was, written by David Allen Coe, a huge hit for him, The Ride was all about a ghost. And he's hitchhiking down the road, and Hank Williams pulls up, and an antique Cadillac says, Boy, would you like a ride? And it turned out to be the biggest song David Allen Coe outside of You Never Call Me By My Name right, had. Right. But, you know, your story can be turned into this. Well, let's get this started. Uh, Alan, let's bring, let's bring Alan on in and, and let's talk about this because we're going to get into the battlefields. But let's dance around this a little bit. There's got to be some other areas because Gettysburg was covered with people. Where do we go to start our tour of a ghost, Alan, there in Gettysburg? Where should we start? Farnsworth House. My wife and I spent the night there, and there is a wall. And one of the walls, outside walls of the house, is just full of bullet holes, peppered with them from the war. People had said that guests who spend the night at Farnsworth Inn hear the crying of a baby. Uh, They hear noises in the attic. There are cold spots in the house. There's a, uh, the water turns on by itself in faucets. They can actually see the handle of the faucet turn. There's a little boy ghost who is playful. And in the room that we were in, they left some toys and marbles and things out. And they said, if you arrange them in a certain pattern, and then you go out and go to dinner or something, come back, that they'll be moved around. Well, my (laughs) wife and I did that, and nothing happened. So we were disappointed. That's also one of those places that capitalizes on its... uh, haunted history. While we were there, a ghost tour was going through the building. And it went through the building about two or three times during the night, so I didn't get much sleep. Because they kept stopping at our room and saying, this is a haunted room. Right. Well, I'm a, well if it, I, I don't know if it was haunted or not, because I think the tourists were scaring the ghost away. There you go. They didn't want to be bothered. So that was, yeah, that was not good. So, Dr. Brown, we talk about there's a civilian that's tied into this story. And I know it was a female, but what was her name? Jenny Wade was a 20-year-old girl who had, it was July 2nd, she had gone to Gettysburg to help her sister. Her sister had just given birth, and Jenny was going to help with the baby. Jenny was inside the kitchen baking bread, 
Now, about a block down the street at the Farnsworth house, there was a company of Confederate soldiers. They were on top of the roof, and they were snipers. One guy was siding in in his gun. So he decided he'd shoot at the door of the Jenny Wade house. Well, he did, and his bullet went through two doors, struck Jenny in the back, went through her heart, and killed her. And she is, Jenny Wade is the only civilian casualty of the Battle of Gettysburg. The family was afraid to, to actually bury her outside, at least at the time being, so they took her to the basement. She was there for at least a day. They finally just buried her in the front yard and moved her six months later. Well, she is an unhappy spirit and an unquiet spirit. First of all, her name was not Jenny. It was Jenny. Her name was Virginia. But history has changed her name to Jenny. And apparently she's not happy about that. Oh. And it's not even her house. It was her sister's house. And she was a visitating. Yes, yes, she was. But people have been pushed. They have been scratched and bitten. Bitten? And bitten in the Jenny Wade house. So, Okay, the biting it goes to a whole new level. A whole new level. It's the only biting ghost I've ever heard of. All right, Terry, we've heard these different stories of people that push the ghost that push, but that's the first time I've heard of a, a ghost that actually bites you and scratches you. Well, that's the first one that I have heard outside of one that we talked about a little bit. Uh, we just kind of touched on it, and I think it was in episode one or two where there was a, a couple that had bought a house, and they, you know, like we talked about, that sometimes when you buy a house, you get more than you bargain for. Yes, you do. And it was a... It was a child. I remember that. And the mother kind of felt this motherly protection of this spirit. It took a liking to her, but it didn't take a liking to her husband, and the husband would get scratched up. Yeah, and ghosts, you just never know. If this is real now, now, of course, we don't know. This is, is it folklore is the word? Yeah, but this the one that I was talking about uh, not too long ago was you know that would have been within our time span that you know this kind of like the poltergeist thing you know it's kind of like that but it's documented they've had people over there they've had to try to do exorcisms on this spirit and again it was the husband was just getting tormented I mean everybody else was kind of fine she just didn't like him the child obviously just did not take a liking to the husband, but did very much so to the mother. But those are two similarities where you've got Jenny, as I guess we've all know to call her now, that was honing the premises in Gettysburg. And then you've got this encounter with this couple that have a similarity in that they have a tendency to be mean. Since we're on Gettysburg, let's go ahead to the battlefield. Alan, where do you go on this battlefield? Where do you start on this? There are two places that are really haunted. Little Round Top, fierce fighting. Over 2,000 men died just there. Union soldiers said that as they were marching to Little Round Top, that the ghost of General Washington was leading them, guiding them in the right direction. And then as they were speeding up and running and riding toward the top of the of Little Round Top, that the uh, ghost of General Washington was spurring them on and waving his sword. Well, the division unit commander heard these stories from more than one soldier 
And he said he didn't see Washington, but who's to say that he wasn't there? He wasn't ready just to say, no, you're crazy. Now, Devil's Den is very haunted. Devil's Den is a geological formation that's basically two or three huge boulders that are clustered together. And story goes that the devil took the form of a giant snake. Well, there's a very famous photograph of a Confederate sniper, a dead Confederate sniper lying on the ground, surrounded by these boulders in Devil's Den. Well, legend has it that the photographer and his helpers got a hold of a body of a Confederate soldier, and they moved him around the battlefield and took pictures of him at different places. I've heard that before, that that, yes. that took place. And Devil's Den is one of these places. And people who go there... And try to take photographs have had their batteries drained on their cameras. Well, I went there. And I, I stood there and I took pictures all around Devil's Den. I even climbed up part of it and took pictures. Nothing happened. So yours worked fine. Mine were fine. But uh, apparently the ghost that haunts that place does not like photographers. Well, after the war, the stench from the bodies was unbearable. So much so that uh, women started baking bread. And they baked it for the soldiers, but they also baked it to, to mask the smell that was wafting over from the battlefield. Well, so many people died there that a lot of soldiers were buried right where they fell. And then, weeks later, when it rained, their bodies washed out of their shallow graves. And it was just a mess. And people were worried about disease. So that's how Gettysburg National Battlefield was formed. They took some of the 4,000 of these soldiers are buried there, but other soldiers are buried in little cemeteries all around Gettysburg. You can't take ghost tours of the battlefield. Take historical tours, but not ghost tours. But you can take ghost tours outside of the battlefield, and I did. My wife and I did, and it was really interesting. Ghosts are big business there. Uh, there's many. Mark Nesbitt who has written several books, number of books, even has his own bookstore on Gettysburg ghosts. If you're into history, if you're into ghosts, or if you're into both, like I am, go to Gettysburg. It's worth it. Now, Gettysburg has a number of haunted, other haunted places outside of the battlefield. There is Gettysburg College, which served as a field hospital, and Full-bodied apparitions of soldiers have been seen walking around the campus. There was a an orphan who escaped from the orphanage in the 1860s uh, in the winter and made his way to the college, and he froze to death. His ghost appears periodically. They call him the Blue Boy, and people at the college have seen him stare at them through windows. Now, that would, that would curdle your blood, too. Yes, it would. Yeah. And professors and students have had things turn up missing in their offices as well. Okay, so now we know a little bit about Blue Boy. I had never heard that story before. No, I hadn't either. And uh, something about them kid ghosts is just creepy now. Yeah, there seems to be a a pattern here. We have a lot of uh, children, and I guess because, and and again, you could say the same about Gettysburg. They were basically children. Yes. You have a lot of spirits that apparently appear to be, unfortunately, there's some that are adults, but some that are children. And I think those are the ones that that really kind of tug at your heart because they died, in most cases, a tragic death, and they were so young. 
All right, let's switch gears here a little bit, and let's go to Meridian, Mississippi. All right. right. What do you think about a building that is no longer, that once was a grand hotel? It's no longer a hotel. It's an office building now. It has a lot of history. I would say that. Yeah. And you never know who might have died there. No, you don't. That is like eerie. Yeah, it is kind of eerie. When you think about it in, that, in those terms, it is eerie. Yeah, this is the Raymond P. Davis Annex building that we're going to talk about. And the person that we're going to talk to is Joyce. And Joyce, I just wanted to ask, well, first of all, thank you for uh, giving us some uh, good insight as to some of the history around that building. And I understand you've worked there for a while. So how long have you worked there? Uh, January will make 25 years. Well, now, Joyce, I've heard... That with your 25 years, you've had some weird or unexplained encounters. So can you kind of tell us about some of that? I have had a few experiences, and, and, and you have to realize I've been there 25 years. So these few experiences were far between, far in between. When, like it's something that happens every day. It might happen once a year, once every three years. So it's not something that happens all the time. And, and not everybody experiences it like I do, and I think it just depends on the person. One morning, this has been years ago, probably in 19, probably 97, 98, I, I came in before everybody else got there and I walked through the lobby and I saw someone sitting in my chair. Well, but it was, it was an older black man sitting in my chair. I really wasn't scared of him. I just, what is he doing in our office? And then I realized that the office was still locked up. So, um, so I went into the office. Uh, well, I didn't go in the office. I went back downstairs found an officer an officer come up there with me went through the whole lobby found that there was no one there there was never anyone there i just saw someone sitting in my chair the thing is that's the first thing in the morning you've had your cup of coffee you're the most alert that you're going to be is first thing in the morning you walk into a i would assume it's a pretty well-lit room you know what you see it's not like this is happening at night i know it's sitting there so what else have you encountered? Um, the only time, and this is what I'm going to tell, what I'm going to tell you is I don't go up there on the weekends anymore. This happened about two and a half years ago, and this is the first time I've really, really been scared when I was there. And I had been working for about an hour, I guess. I turned the TV on. We have a TV in the office. I turned the TV on so I wouldn't hear every little bump and movement. You know, in that old building, I didn't want to hear everything that was going on because I was in there by myself. So I turned the TV on so it had some background noise. I'd been there about an hour, <clears throat> and my the lady that works across from me, her calculator come on, you know, and her uh, calculator tape will run. Yeah. It came on, and I said, I said, huh, that's weird. So I didn't really think nothing else about it, and I just kept on working because I had a lot to do. I was trying to get it all done. And um, about 30 minutes later, the computer and the printer came on on that desk. There's no way that can happen on its own. Oh, my god! And when that happened, when that happened, it scared me. I got on the phone. I called a friend. I left all the lights on. I left the TV on. I locked the door. And I got on the elevator. And it was the longest elevator ride I've ever had to get out of that building. And and I've not been back up there by myself again, and that's been about two years ago. Okay, let me ask you this. Since it's been you so far, has there been anybody else that's had any weird things happen to them there? Now, we have one of the judges. His office is at the very end of the hallway. Well, 
every single time Judge leaves his office, the rug moves. Every time. I mean, it's not being moved by the door. We've looked at everything possibly that could be making it move. Like if you move the door and the door getting hung on it, it's not. It just gets moved over against the wall every time he leaves. It kind of bothered him a little bit. He's, he's, he thought we were doing it, but we weren't. I mean, he would go up there and he'd move the rug over every time. And I, and I told him, I said, whatever ladies in your office don't like that rug there, so you might as well just move it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has had a few other experiences. I'm not sure exactly exactly how, how to explain his experiences. Um, once I went into his office and... um. I'd gotten my hands dirty or something, and I said, I'm going to use your bathroom to wash my hands. He said, oh, yeah, go right ahead. That's fine. I went in there, washed my hands, turned the light off. Well, the light come back on. I said, oh, that's weird. So I turned the light off again. The light come back on. And I'm not talking about it just flickered back on. The light switch actually went back up. Oh, my gosh. And, And you saw that? Yeah. I mean, it kept coming back up. I turned it off, and it popped back up. And I said, well, I guess she wants it on, so I left the light on in there. So, Joyce, thank you for telling us several stories about the Raymond P. Davis building and uh, all the encounters that you guys have had over the last, I guess, 20, 25 years of your career. We're going to switch gears and move back to Dr. Brown. And Dr. Brown is actually going to tell about another building that's, well, it's right across the street from the one that we just talked about in Meridian, Mississippi. And, in fact, You've written a book about it. Now, what's the book called? It's called uh, Haunted Meridian. Oh, neat. <laughs> now, for those who aren't from Meridian, uh, that's located in Mississippi, Lauderdale County. And you've got a building or two that you wanted to break up that might possibly be haunted? Yes. The courthouse has a long history of hauntings. Actually, they were first reported in the Meridian Star in 1980. And there was a... Um, woman in a circuit clerk's office who said that things kept disappearing. She would have like a list of poll workers and uh, she would put them on, in one drawer and then they'd be gone for a while and then they'd reappear in the same drawer. There was also a list of expenses for a special election. It disappeared and ended up in another commissioner's office in a drawer. So... This ghost seems to be kind of playful. In fact, the ladies have nicknamed him Boots. I have to ask why. I don't know. I knew you were going to ask that, and I don't know why he's Boots. But he is. He's not really scary. He's just annoying. Unless you talk to the maintenance workers. There was, I talked to a lady named Rhonda, who said she was in a third floor courtroom. She heard the elevator outside come up so she walked outside and the door opened and no one was in it well she walked back inside in the courtroom shut the door and the door opened and closed by itself so i have to go down this road again who do they think the ghost is coming in and out of the courts maybe someone that felt they didn't get justice it could be you know there are so many people who go in and out of that building it's hard to pinpoint just one, one source. Now, do we know of any deaths or anything that went on in the... In the jail, on top of the building, yes. Uh, within the building, no. That's not to say no one died. I just don't know of anyone who Correct. died. Because people could have had a heart attack in an office. But as we've yeah. learned through all of this, you don't necessarily have to die somewhere to haunt a particular place, no, do you? No, you don't. You don't. There are... 
people whose spirits just seem to want to come back for some reason. They feel an attachment to a place. Well, now this same woman, the same maintenance worker, told me she was on the second floor courtroom one day. Actually, it was one evening because the building was closed, and she was by herself. She walked into the jury room, opened the door, and there was a blonde woman sitting there. There shouldn't have been anybody in there. She screamed and ran out of the door. I talked to a secretary. His name was Valerie. She told me that she walked into a, a courtroom to pick up, pick up something off a judge's desk. She got it, walked to the door, and the door was locked. It was locked from the inside. There was a deadlock. And she didn't do it. And she said somebody must have been or something must have been in there with her. That's interesting. That's interesting. A city policeman said that he was in the building at 3 a.m. Didn't tell me why, but he was, he was in there at 3 a.m. He was on the third floor in the library, and a book flew across the room and almost hit him in the head. Now I'd have to leave. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he uh, got in his car. He turned off all the lights, got in his car, and the lights turned on again. And so he saw a connection. Something was messing with it. So do you think a book maybe fell by itself and he thought it flew by his head? Or are you? No, was he, he convinced he, it? He said it flew across. It didn't just fall straight from the shelf onto the floor. This, this thing flew across, several feet across the room. So he left after that pretty fast. Talked to a uh, paralegal who said that she was in there about 8.30 p.m., she was in there with her boss in the archives, and her boss had walked out of the room, walked down the hallway. Now, the hallway is lined with offices. He was going to the bathroom. So she was in there by herself, and then she heard a door slam in the hallway. So she walked out in the hallway, opened the doors because they were unlocked. There was no one in there. Went back to the archives, started to open the door, and the door opened and closed behind her. Hard enough that she could feel the wind from it. So okay, that's re- pretty hard. That's pretty hard. So she ran inside. Her boss came back, and she told him what had happened. And he said, well, he'd, he, had, her, he heard the door slamming. She didn't, she didn't imagine it. It really happened to her. So who is causing this? We don't know. You know, I will go on record, Scotty, and say I bet there's not a city in any state that doesn't have some type of history, some type of unexplained encounter, oh, yeah. some type of ghostly spirit story. And that's what makes them all so interesting. And for authors to really jump on out there, Alan's really all over this. He's got onto a subject now that is endless. Really? I mean, you, we've talked about from the Civil War yeah. to really kind of modern-day uh, encounters, and now we're getting ready to actually step back into the Civil War era again with history that's going on in Mississippi. So let's ask him. Okay, let's do. What is the most haunted place that you can find in the state of Mississippi, Alan? You know uh, it's McRaven. Now that is located where? It's in Vicksburg. Okay, well, tell me, what, as in haunted, what type of haunt is it? The only way to really do McRaven justice is to start at the beginning of its history. Now, is this a private home now, or is it? It is. Well, it's a uh, it's a tour house. Okay, you can go through it. From time you can to time. go through it, and and I did back in January. 
been wanting to go for years and finally had time to do it and a reason to do it because I was writing a book at the time. So I went there and it was, well, the first part of the house was built in 1797 by uh, a man named Andrew Glass. And it was basically one room built on top of another room. It wasn't very fancy, very rustic, in fact. Andrew Glass was rumored to be a highwayman. He and his brother were said to rob houses or rob people and houses on the Natchez Trace. There's no proof that he really did. In fact, people who knew him said he was a gentleman and couldn't believe that he was actually a lawbreaker. But then in 1836, there was a sheriff named Howard who... uh, bought the property, and he built the front part of the house. And then in 1849, John H. Bob, well, he added on the master bedroom, the flying wing staircase, and the gentleman's parlor. 1882, William Murray bought the house. Now, William Murray was a Yankee. Uh He was a blacksmith for the Union Army, or General Grant's Army, and he married a girl in Vicksburg, so... He moved here and had seven children. The last two members of his family to live there were his older daughters, uh, Annie and Ella, and they were spinsters, kind of eccentric toward the end. Uh, They did not install any plumbing or electricity. And to heat the house, they were what reached the point to the end where they were heating the house by burning up the furniture. Uh, But they were... uh, they, pre- they ended up preserving the historical integrity to the house by not adding any modern touches to it. And that's why it's a, it's a really, really wonderful place to visit. If you're interested in history, you can see how people lived at different, different stages of the 19th century. And it's uh, really worthwhile. I would take kids there. Now, I'm not sure I would tell them the ghost stories because the ghost stories are kind of violent. Okay, and when you say violent, is this is this that type of ghost that you hear about that touches you, comes oh, after you? Oh, it is more than that. Okay, well, yeah. enlighten me. Well, in 1960, Leland French bought the house. Told me that one day he was walking up the flying wind staircase. There up on the landing was a man staring down at him, full body apparition, and he recognized him. It was William Murray. He had seen his face in the photographs. Well... French was terrified. He ran into a, into a bedroom. It was John Bob's bedroom. Ran in there and hid until about, oh, 10 or 15 minutes, and then he opened the door, and the guy was gone. He left. Well, that's when things started happening. Several weeks later, the phone rang. Leland walked across the room, and he felt hands against his shoulder blade. Something pushed him down so hard, his face slammed against the floor, and his glasses were were pushed into his head, Ooh. Uh, and he had to go to the doctor to get treated. Well, not long after that, he was in his bedroom. He opened up a dresser drawer with his thumbs, and he heard a noise in the hallway. He turned his head, and the dresser door slammed shut, almost broke his thumbs, and he had to go back to the doctor. Well, by that time, he had had enough. He called up an Episcopal priest, and he had the Episcopal priest bless the place, because he was pretty sure there was something in there that didn't like him. Now, the sightings have continued over the years. He eventually had to sell the house to tend for his mother in another state. 
It is open for tours, and the tour guides have all kinds of stories. For example, there was a tour guide who was taking a couple up the stairs. And on the second floor, on the left of the hallway, is Andrew Glass's bedroom. And on the right is Mary Elizabeth Howard's bedroom. Mary Elizabeth Howard was the wife of Stephen Howard. So she said she really enjoyed looking at the expression of people's faces when they walk into the glass room because it is so different than the others. It, in fact, some people call it the frontier room because it is very primitive. She walked ahead of these people, and then she slept inside the glass room and went to the far corner and was waiting for them to come in. But they didn't come in. So she, she heard him walk up the stairs. She didn't see him. So she walked across the bedroom, and there they were. And she said, what are you doing in Mary Elizabeth Howard's bedroom? She said, well, there was a, uh, a tour guide standing in the doorway, and she motioned us to come in. So we came in, and then she was gone. So they, uh, the uh, woman asked the couple to describe the tour guide. She said she had long brown, long brown hair, wearing a brown dress. But then she... Then when they turned around, she was gone. The young lady who guided me through the house said that uh, John H. Bob's ghost appears periodically, especially in the gentleman's changing room. He has been seen there. Now, you need to keep in mind that full-bodied apparitions are a rarity. They're the holy grail for ghost hunters, and very few people ever see a ghost. People see them all the time in the in McRaven. Just a full-body ghost? Full-body ghost, yes. While I was talking to her in the gentleman's changing room, both of us heard a thumping sound in the parlor. And she said, that's fairly common. She hears it all the time, especially in the winter, and has never been able to find the source of that noise. Well, let's see, something else that has happened that was actually pretty terrifying is it happened to the same young woman. She said that she had walked up the stairs was about, and was about to enter Mary Elizabeth Howard's bedroom. Well, on the floor of the entrance is a pile of shrapnel that Leland French found on the property. And it's just there in a pile. She happened to look at it. Something was trying to materialize. It was like a man... It was a shape of a man that was trying to form before her very eyes. And she did not stand there and wait for it to complete its transformation. She took off. This is the lady that guides the tours there. Yes, yes. She also said it's not uncommon at all to go into Mary Elizabeth Howard's bedroom and find the impression of a uh, body on the bed as if someone has been sleeping there during the night. She did not live very long. She died after her first baby was born. Died in that room. There was a ghost hunter who was standing by the bed. He had had his phone. He had an app on his phone. The word baby appeared. Okay. And the baby was born in that room. For many years, her wedding lace was on display. It was, it was just lying on a dresser. It's, in, it's framed now. And people said if you touched it, you could feel warmth coming from it. Spooky. That was spooky. Now, when I was there, my wife came with me, 
and she's the one that is my ghost magnet. Right. But I couldn't get her to go in the house because, well, for one thing, my our little dog was with us, and she had him, had her on a leash. But she said there's just something about this house that isn't right. She, she didn't want to go. She didn't want to go. But she uh, she did want to sit on a chair on the porch. So she and Holly walked up, walked, started to walk up the sidewalk. When they got to the steps of the porch, Holly wouldn't move. She would not go up there. Normally, she'll bound up the steps of a strange house, but not this one. She didn't want to go either. Well, you know, dogs, I, I really feel, detect things quicker than a human does. I think so, too. I think, well, a lot of parapsychologists say that. They have this sixth sense. Right. That's the word I was looking for. They do. And there are times when a dog will, in a haunted house, will just stop and stare at a point in a house. And that's, I've read, read about that happening many times. It's as if something is there that humans can't see. But the dog, the dog can. sees it. And uh-huh. then, then the hair's standing up in the dog's back. If that ever happened to me, I think I'd be freaked out. Oh, I think I would too. Yeah. I talked to the, uh, the owners of the house and was delighted to find they have copies of my books there. That's even for better. sale because I've written about uh, McRaven several times. Every time I start to write about it, I find out more things that have happened. Lots of things happen there all the time. It's a very active site. As I said, it's a beautiful house. And if you only care about history, you, you'll have a good time at McRaven. But if you want to get spooked, spooked out, it'll do that to you too. The first sighting, ghost sighting, occurred in 1864. Vicksburg Daily Herald ran a story about a Yankee officer, part of the occupying army, who was spending the night there. He was awakened in the middle of the night by an apparition. It was a Confederate soldier, and he recognized the guy. It was He was a turncoat Confederate who had served this officer on a steamer, and his face was all mutilated. He had died somehow, and the Yankee didn't know how. But this guy stood there, stared at him for a few seconds before disappearing. And the newspaper ran that story. So wow. McRaven's been haunted for well over 150 years, almost 160 years. So that was really interesting about the McRaven house. I mean, you always kind of knew that it was kind of spooky because, I mean, it had passed down. And it started with, you know, just a single bedroom, a single kitchen. You know, you didn't even have a staircase for the second floor. And, you know, there's supposedly all those hauntings that go on. Well, let's just kind of take a look. Now, we've kind of put that on the shelf for a while. And let where are we headed now, Scotty? Let's go to Georgia, Chickamauga. Alan, how many people died there? 35,000 people died. Story goes that at the at battle's end, number of women came from town holding lanterns, walking through the battlefield at night looking for their, their lovers, their husbands, their brothers. One of those women is still there. She's called the Lady, of, Lady in White. And people have seen her emerge from the woods. She walks in the field. She walks around the graves of soldiers, and then she moves back to the field. People have seen the flickering of lights in fields, which they say are the lanterns of these women. Most famous ghost is called Old Green Eyes. Okay, tell me about Green Eyes. Old Green Eyes, there are two versions of this story. According to one legend, 
He was a Confederate soldier whose head was blown off. They see this head, floating head, it has green eyes, and it hovers six feet over the ground. But there's another story that old green eyes is actually kind of a Bigfoot-like creature, tall, hairy creature with fangs and green eyes. That is part of an Indian legend that predates the, the uh, predates Chickamauga. So, number of people have seen him, and as I said, he's the, he is their signature ghost. But there's another creature that has been seen around Chickamauga, and this is near the Updike Memorial. Lieutenant Colonel Emerson Updike was a Union colonel who was given the task of holding Horseshoe Ridge, and he did. He and the 125th Ohio Infantry held off the Confederate advance. Uh, they were uh, received all kinds of commendations for it. And these guys were so good, they were so brave, they were caught, they were nicknamed Opdike's Tigers. Well, the memorial at Horseshoe Ridge is this tiger on top of a pedestal. And people have seen a tiger with green eyes roaming the battlefield. Now, the last ghost is a headless horseman that gallops through the battlefield. We even know his name, Lieutenant Colonel Julius And it's a French name. It's something like Gravier. Story goes he was galloping along and a cannonball knocked his head off and knocked him off the horse. And then his head was squashed by the hooves of galloping horses. And so he is riding around looking for his head. Now, that story does not hold up very well to scrutiny because he wasn't killed there. He was actually killed at Stones Stones River near Murfreesboro. So that story somehow made its way to Chickamauga. And if you go to Chickamauga, you might hear that story of the Headless Horseman, but it's not really based in fact. And yet again, I remember watching Scooby-Doo and the Headless Horseman. That was my first time to ever see that. I wonder how many shows have actually been based on the Headless Horseman. It's tons. And as we found out there, that one probably really doesn't exist. I know, but it sure sounds interesting. Now look, we have had a blast talking about ghosts for the last four weeks. Well, I think the thing that we can take away from this is all of these ghost sightings are not just something that happened a year ago, two years ago. They happened hundreds of years ago. And ghost sightings probably happened even before then. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, in the olden days. So we really hope you've enjoyed this. And again, we invite you, if you've got a story of your own, email us. Let us know about this. But we don't want your ghost, ghostly friends. Yeah, don't you be boxing nothing up like that and sending to me. <laughs> we don't want any uh, worldly possessions. We don't want any antiques. We don't want any cordless vacuum cleaners. Yes. And we don't want any little boy blue lamps. No, we don't. <laughs> there are many, many more ghost stories that we didn't get to in this episode. Maybe you know one. Drop us a note and tell us about it. And Dr. Alan Brown has over 30 books he's written about ghosts. Make sure to check those out as well. There's still the question, do ghosts really exist? Well, we can't answer that for you. But the next time you're home alone and the TV turns on by itself, maybe a vacuum cleaner does. Or maybe a water faucet turns on. And there simply isn't an answer for it. It'll make you think anyway. But to be on the safe side, 
Don't fix your hair, don't wear any makeup, and wear that old wore-out t-shirt that you've got. Because a ghost doesn't want to be scared either. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and will continue to listen more. We promise to provide stories that intrigue you, provide a little humor, reflect our heritage and culture, whether it's strange and alarming. Please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Let us know whether you liked or disliked. Do you have a story to share? If so, we'd like to hear from you. Please email us at comments at secretsfromthesouth.com and provide a brief description of your story along with contact information and we'll be in touch. Until next time, well, you know a secret, well, it's okay to sleep with a light on. That is, if it'll stay on. <laughs>